You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. Once you have your Bibles, then go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to John 13. Focus our attention. We will look at the context, but we're going to just mainly camp in these two verses. And like I said just a moment ago, uh, we're, uh, we're, we're beginning a new series. And, uh, and this is, uh, I think, going to be a, a fantastic series for us to help do a multitude of things. One, to shape our community as we come back to God's Word. Uh, that shapes our church and not just, just this church, but God's design for the church. And it is also a, a, a really a standard setting for us as God's people living in a world who has very different values, very different definitions of the same words in which we use, particularly today, as we look at this idea of loving one another. Now, God has wired us as humans, just every human being for community. Whether we realize it or not, whether we embrace it to, uh, in God's design or not, he's wired us to be interdependent and connected to one another. We're not meant as human beings to live in isolation. We are not islands unto ourselves. Independence is not the highest virtue. And in our day when chaos prevails... Where, where no one can seem to get along, where every difference is, uh, seems to be a reason to divide, where not only if you don't see eye to eye with a person, not only uh, do, uh, we, we, are we not friends, but we are actually now enemies. A day where we live where respect and virtue for one another are seen as obstacles to my personal happiness. We as God's people must come back to our Bibles and plant ourselves firmly in these convictions that define our lives and our uncommon community. See, God has designed the church, his body, his gathered people here, this specific body, this uncommon community to be distinct. To be separate from the world. And, you know, here's, here's the thing. For so long, uh, uh, we've heard these noble aspirations to change the world. The noble aspirations to transform the culture. And yet, these are noble aspirations, but they re- can really can only be accomplished through a robust biblical ecclesiology uh, paired with our missiology. See, what I mean by that, the call out of sin. The gospel message is a call out of sin and all out of chaos. It's also an invitation into the messy beauty that is the church. It's a call to come and belong to this uncommon community. And so as we begin to look at what then defines this uncommon community, it's wrapped up in the one another's. Those statements, those commands in the New Testament that define how we live as one another. And we're going to start at the central activity of the church this morning. We're starting here, going back to Jesus' final instructions to his disciples in the upper room. Right before he is betrayed, right before he's accused and crucified, he has gathered his disciples in this upper room and he leaves them with this new commandment. 
And so look at your Bibles, and I'm going to read the context. I'm going to begin in verse 31, John 13, 31, and I'll read through verse 38 so we can see the context, and then we'll hone in on the command. Here's God's word. Follow along in your Bibles as I read it. It says this, When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. When he had gone out, he's referring to Judas. We'll come back to that in a second. But when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love. You are my disciples if you have love for one another. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, this is God's word for God's people. And so what are we to make of this, uh, these final instructions here for, from Jesus to his disciples before he will be betrayed, accused, and crucified? You can write this down in your notes. Here's what I think the central point, the main point of Jesus' teaching is this. Love is the central activity of our uncommon community. Jesus is about to leave their midst. He's about to depart from them. And he says, here is his like parting things, the most important thing. Here's how you will be defined. Even though I am leaving, this is what should be true of you. Love for one another. It's to be the central activity of those disciples right there as they engage in a mission to uh, advance the gospel in Jesus' absence as he ascends into heaven. And it is to be our central activity activity upon which everything else revolves around and ties it all together of even our church here. Now, the context of John 13, we read a little bit of it, but let's even zoom out just a little bit here. At the beginning of John 13, we're told that Jesus loves them and loves them to the end. And then he goes to demonstrate that through what? See it in your header there? If you look back through John 13, he does what activity? He washes their feet. He takes the lowest of low jobs. In those days, this was like entry level into the workforce, right? It was the job nobody wanted but to wash uh, people's grimy, dirty feet. There was no pavement and concrete, anything like that. Nice carpeted floors. They walked in dirt and, and mud and all the things that uh, came with it, including manure and things. And so when you would come into somebody's house, the lowest of the low, and the servants would wash the people's feet. And Jesus begins by doing this. He lowers himself from the place of honor as their teacher, as their leader, to washing their feet. As they're reclining around the table, then Jesus also, too many J's here, Jesus also calls out Judas as his betrayer. He, in speaking to the disciples, already said, one of these are going to betray me, and Judas walks out. That's where we picked it up in verse 31, and when he had gone out, it was Judas after Jesus, I think there, was pleading with him. And it was... We're going to preach John or the book of John starting in January, and so we'll get to this eventually. But I think what's happening 
in this passage, even here is Jesus just compassion for Judas uh, as he's calling out. And all the rest of the disciples are like oblivious to what's going on. Like, one is going to betray me. Like, oh, that, that. And I think God, what Jesus is doing here is, is just in his mercy. Like, I know what you're going to do, Judas. Give him another opportunity to come, another opportunity to change his mind, to repent and to turn around. Yet he doesn't. All under God's sovereignty, he doesn't. He walks out. And then here he says, I'm going to be glorified. He warns them. He tells them, hey, where I'm going, you cannot come. And they're like, where are you going? Are you going to Galilee? We've been with you for three years. And he's like, no, no, they don't get it, even though he's told them. But he's telling them, I'm going to the cross. You cannot come. I, he alone will bear it. He alone will get the glory for it. They cannot come with him. And Simon Peter obviously wants to. And Jesus just is it's like, you get his compassion even here as he calls them little children. And this isn't a degrading term, compassionate term. Term, it's a term of endearment for them. And it's in the midst of all of this here. It's in the midst of this, uh, this scene of Jesus washing feet and, and, uh, and calling out Judas and telling of his crucifixion that he drops the L-bomb right in the middle of it. Familiar with the L-bomb? Love, right? Tells them to love one another. The L-bomb is a momentous time in many relationships, right? Dating is, you know, just in kind of a, you know, in a different sense. And the first person, you know, gets the courage to say, I love you. Now, it's a little bit different scene in this, but you get it. Jesus say, hey, here's what's going to define you. I want you to love one another. It's a commandment. And so here's the thing. If love is to be the central activity of our uncommon community, it was to be the central activity of these disciples, then the question then remains, well, how do we make it then our central activity? How do we love one another in this uncommon community? Well, here's the first point. If that's the central activity, we must first obey Jesus' command. We must know that this is not an option for us. It's, it's a new uh, commandment. It's a commandment that's on repeat throughout our New Testament. If you just go into your Bible app or online to a Bible search engine and, and just in and quotation marks, but love one another, you'll find it on repeat in our New Testament, not just as a nice option, but it is a command. Notice in verse 34, as we look at these verses, just you. Now, we're going to come back to this idea of new in just a moment. But notice here that it is not optional. It is a command to love one another. Now, if we're going to embrace a command, I think we need to know what these terms are meaning, right? So the idea of one another, who's he speaking about? He's speaking about believers. The idea of one another is those who are uh, loved of God. But what is this idea of love then? How do we define Love. How would you define love? If I were to ask you a test, like essay test right now, everybody write out a one-page thing on love. Could you do it? How about we just make it much more simple than an essay? How about just this? Here's a simple definition. You before me. Love being synonymous with sacrifice, a willing, joyful laying down of our life, a willing, joyful sacrifice for another person. It is that, uh, yes, the thoughts, the decision, the feelings of laying down our life unconditionally with no thought in return. It's a saying, you before me. Your preferences before my preferences. Your best before my best. You know, the word, likely you've heard it before, the Greek word agape here, unconditional love. 
I know there is no conditions. There is no uh, hope for something in return. It is not a, I love what you do for me or I love because uh, you uh, make me feel good about myself. No, love is not a commodity to be consumed or traded. But it's what we do as those loved by God. We love without condition. Why? Because God loves me and because God loves you. Therefore, I love you too. This is command. It's, and, it's, and it's really distinct, right? If we understand what it is that we are being commanded to do, Christ-like love then is uh, distinct from any worldly love. And I think, church, this is what is so important for us as we want to seek to live according to God's ways. We have to understand that even as we say this, like love is just a word that we use all the time, don't we? Like how many times do you think you used it in your, uh, in your conversation already today? Like, it's too early. I, don't, I haven't thought. <laughs> the fact that I've said anything coherent by 930 is, is a, a, a feat in itself, right? But love is something that we use all the time. We love breakfast. We love this song. We love this person. We love, we love, we love it. And, and it's a catch-all word for our affections, for our feelings and things. And yet we've said, here's the biblical definition. And we see it everywhere else too, like in, our, in marketing and advertising, as you go to restaurants and things, this concept of love is everywhere. And yet there are different definitions, especially in the strange new world in which we live. And love is trumpeted, yes, as a high ideal, but defined differently than a biblical love. See, love is love. And yet, even though we are using the same terms, we are meaning very different things. See, we've said that love, a biblical love, a, a Christ-like love means you before me, and yet in the strange new world in which we live, love is equated with affirmation. Affirm everything I think, do, say, and feel. Not only do I want you to affirm it, I need you to accept me uh, because of it. And, and, and you can't question anything that I do. No, that's not love. And not only that, you have to affirm and accept, but you also need to celebrate it. Otherwise, it's not fully love. Yeah, we are using these ideas, and yet I think you can see here that even this, these are antithetical to one another. Using the same words and yet meaning very different things. No, love is willing to say the hard things, the truth in love. Just look at even uh, Jesus' words to Peter in the context. Why, why we read it here, Peter saying, like, look at Peter's uh, uh, expression to Jesus in verse 37. He's like, I can't follow you. I'll lay down my life. What is that an expression of? What are we talking about here? It's an expression of love. And Jesus is like, I get that. You will uh, afterward. But right now, I'm just going to tell you, uh, uh, Peter, I'm just going to tell you right now. No, God, I still have some work to do in your life. Is Jesus just like throwing it in his face? Hey, you're actually going to deny me. No, you're not going to let him. No. Warning him of what's to come. It's, a great, it's God's grace here, even uh, uh, through Christ, uh, to bring these things to Peter's attention. But he's willing to say the hard things, knowing that Peter has some work to do as he's continuing to grow in his love for the Lord. So I think we can see here, if this is a command we have to obey, I think we can understand what it is. But here's the, where the rubber meets the road. What about when it's super hard to do this, right? We, we get the command. We, like, there should be no misunderstanding about what it is to do. But the reality is, the obstacle to uh, living in obedience to this is that we don't often feel like it. And some people are just hard to love. Am I right? And they're like, I don't want to admit that anymore. I just, 
It's okay to admit it. That's the first thing we have to I'm sure it's hard for you. And so what do we do then when this command from the Lord on repeat that we can't get around, rightly understood, what do we do when it's hard? Pray like Paul has prayed. 1 Thessalonians, I love this verse. 1 Thessalonians 3, Paul is praying for this new church in Thessalonica. And he says this, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. In those moments, church, in those moments where you just feel like you don't have any more margin to, to love your kids, when you're tired, it's been a long day, when they've been uh, on your nerves, when you're frustrated with that coworker, when you, when you, when you just ah, get on your knees and you humbly pray, prayer like this, God, would you make me increase and abound in love for this person? Because see, here's the reality. What this, what this verse teaches us, here, write this down. It's not in your notes. I just want you to write it down. It's the Lord that makes, matures, and multiplies our love for one another. God is the source of love. God is the grower of love. God is the overflower of our love for one another. And so we're asking God to do what only he can do in our lives. And isn't this the beauty of God, the grace of God to command us in this way and then to give us everything we need to carry it out faithfully. See, he makes us, he, will, he can turn our heart and mind in the moment, in the situation to love this person. And not only that, to increase it, to cause it to well up. And not only that, but to multiply, to overflow or to abound in love when you feel like you just don't have enough for this person or for another person in your schedule or in your time. God is so good to give us exactly what we need to make and mature and multiply our love for others. See, he supplies it and we just follow him faithfully. This is so like the Lord. Like God does this and when he's making disciples, right? God makes, matures, and multiplies disciples. He's the source of all that, of, sal of saving people and sanctifying people and multiplying and sending out people. He does all that and we just follow him faithfully in the activity of it in the same way with our love for one another. It's a command that we must obey. But here's the second thing. If we're going to make this the central activity of our uncommon community of our very lives, then we must follow Jesus' example. It is a command. I think we get that here, but we must also follow his example. And this now, church, is really where we see the new come in. A new commandment. Look at the verse again, 34. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, so also are you to love one another. Now, let me, let's just put ourselves in the situation. When Jesus is saying this, is this some like new concept for humanity to love? Well, even more specifically, is this a new commandment for God's people at this point in human history? we see love in the Old Testament at all? Did we see it in Leviticus? Yeah. The, the, the great commandments, right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus 19. We just saw it in our previous series. And so it's not as though love is this, this new concept that they had never heard of. It's now just that the standard is different. Whereas the old standard was to love your neighbor as yourself, right? 
And we're all pretty good about doing that, right? Love the golden rule, right? Treat others as you want to be treated to love people as you love yourself. It's, it's good. Now, Jesus, in the fashion that he does all throughout the Sermon on the Mount and in so many different ways, he raises the bar, not just loving him as you would love yourself, but you shall now to love others in the way that I have loved you. Game changer, right? Game changer, a game changing standard to love like Jesus. And so that asks the question how did Jesus love? Well, again, look at the context, right? We just covered over this. How did he love? He took the lowest place. And love like Jesus is, you're going to follow his example. It means we humble ourselves. We don't clamor for recognition. We don't uh, do things so that we get recognized or at least to make sure that we can get a good shot of it for Instagram or social media. No, we humble ourselves just like Christ did in washing feet. How else did he love in the context? Having compassion for one who would betray him. Judas is reclining right next to him. And this is so profound, right? He knows exactly what's going to happen. All along the way, as you read John, he's like pointing to Judas, the one who's going to betray him. How's that for a legacy, right? John's just dropping those hints all throughout the book here so that we would know that Jesus knows anyway. Has compassion for him. Even, even, even as he will be the one who, the, who will betray him. God will sovereignly work through it all. Just imagine that. Imagine if the coworker that you worked with, a child or spouse, whoever, somebody close to you, imagine if you knew that this was going to come three years down the road. New person gets hired on this week at your office, and just somehow God's, you know, giving you foreign knowledge. You know, three years later, this person is going to embezzle all your business money and take it all away. Like what if you had a scenario, something like this, and you ask a friend, a counselor, what would what would their counsel be to you? Cut that person out, get them as far away from you and your family, your business, whatever it might be, right? And don't take this too far here, because he does leave, he goes, and Jesus doesn't keep him here forever. But notice the way that Jesus loves him, even knowing all of these things. And see, the same is true even for us, as we uh, know hard things about one another. We know that none of us are perfect in this community, and we will hurt one another. The people in your small group won't uh, call you back right away. They may not be able to meet you at the time when you need it. They may say something uh, intentionally or unintentionally hurtful. It may happen in your marriage. It may happen from your kid. Yet, as we love as Christ loved, we can show compassion and forgiveness, patience and grace and mercy all through it. How else did Jesus love? As we follow his example, consider the mission of the gospel. How far did Christ's love go? Well, not only did he have compassion for his enemies, he also died for his enemies. Look how Paul says it in Romans 5. It's here on the screen. Romans 5, 7, and 8 say this, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
This is the good news of, of Jesus Christ, right? This is the gospel that transforms us. See, love is the central activity of our uncommon community because love was the central activity of the gospel. It is what sent Christ to die for us while we were his enemies, while we were sinners, while we were weak and helpless and ungodly, hating God. And he came and died for us, God's only son. As the sacrifice, our atonement for our sin, that's when he died. And as we embrace that, as we believe Christ died in my places uh, for me out of his great love, which, which he loved us, he died for us. Place our faith in Christ. That's a saving faith. So he falls in. He died to save, but also uh, note this in the same mission. As we consider his mission. How did he love? He died so that we would lay down our lives for others. Not just so that we would be the undeserving recipients of this love, but so that we would also be sent to show and to demonstrate this love. Look at how John says this, 1 John 3, 16 through 18. He shows us how to die for ourselves out of the overflow of Christ's love for us. It says this, but this we, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him how does god's love abide in him little children let us not love in word or talk but in deed and in truth it's first john 3 16 through 18 see christ's love for us is demonstrated in how we live our lives not just what we talk about, but actually how we demonstrate it day in and day out. See, these acts of love are the keys that open the door to the words of love to be able to share the gospel to uh, uh, God's people. And just like, like uh, for a pause for a reflection, like just in the last few days, haven't we had ample opportunity to live this out? We just think of what has happened in, in, in our church, uh, you know, when we could have just been lazing about all day on Saturday watching football or enjoying uh, the cool fall weather. We've, as a church, been serving our community and all those projects that we were doing and helping people move and rushing in to help during crisis and celebrating with babies being born. This isn't just to, like, pat ourselves on the back, but to give glory to God, Right? Like, this is what we do. We lay down our lives. We die to ourselves to serve uh, one another and to serve our community. And, man, if you're not a part of this or you haven't experienced or you're new to our church, then we invite you in to come and belong and experience the sacrificial love that Christ has shown to us that we love. But, see, this is really where the verse also takes us. The point here of Christ's example, but it's also as we're making love the central activity of our church. Look at how verse 35 would lead us to say, we must show then Jesus salvation. We're going to make love the central activity of our lives, of this community here. So Christ is uh, calling them to, verse 35 would say this to us, we must show then Jesus salvation. And what makes this love new and distinct is its threefold purpose, right? God's glory, the good of believers, and our witness then to the world. Notice what it says in verse 35, by this, this Christ-like love, obeying this command, following Jesus' example, shows his salvation. By this, all people will know that you are my 
disciples. Disciples are followers, authentic followers. You live a life like Christ. You will, li- uh, you will show Christ's life. How? If you have love for one another. See, we live in a broken world, a strange new world that's looking for love in all the wrong places, right? Looking for love and personal happiness and relationships and, 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 and you know, personal fulfillment. We know where love is embodied. Embodied in Christ. We've experienced it. And so what is our job to do then? To live this out. To continue to love one another. And let that be the magnet then that draws people to come and belong. And this Christ-like love is what one commentator says. A convincing argument for the gospel. As people looking for love in all the wrong places and, and finding disappointment after disappointment and they see the love that, yes, the messy and broken love that exists here in the church, that, that is a magnet, an attractant for those looking for it here. I see the world we live in, the broken world, the strange new world in which we live in is steeped in suspicion, assuming the worst about everyone's motives, right? Everybody's suspicious, and yet biblical love uh, believes the best about one another. It's distinct. The world in which we live is steeped in skepticism, assuming that they're the smartest person in the room. They know uh, it all, that they know what is best, and yet a biblical love between believers, a Christ-like love, believes the truth, rejoices in the truth world in which we live is steeped in outrage, tantruming because we're told no, tantruming because we can't do whatever we want, that somebody else or a law or a rule or, or somebody else's good would impede upon my personal pursuit of, of happiness. And yet biblical love amongst believers does not insist upon its own way. We live in a world that is steeped in fear, panicking because of all the what-if moments. Our knowledge often uh, does not serve us about the things that could happen, however likely or unlikely they may be. We know all the worst-case scenarios. Yet the biblical love between believers here keeps our eyes on Christ. It is hope-filled as we point to the sovereign goodness and love of God. Sin drives us to be self-promoting and self-protecting and self-preserving. But biblical love, Christ-like love, is self-sacrificing. And this is an attractant. This is a magnet to the world because it was, it's, it's found in Jesus. It's how people know that we follow him. This, this alone, this self-sacrificing, is distinct. It sets our uncommon community apart from any other association, any other affinity that we gather around. But see, as believers, when we willingly and joyfully give away our time, giving away the margin in our life, um, the moments and minutes and hours in our life for somebody else's benefit, when we give away our talent so that others can be served. When we give away our treasure, our resources, our finances, the things that when we give it freely away without no expectation in return. See, this is different. This is transforming love 
a love that is the central activity of our life. And as we seek to put this into practice, it starts through in the small moments and the big moments as we make decisions, as we evaluate our life. We can think of it through a paradigm like this, believing in who we are, our identity in Christ. Look at this. I can, I am, I ought, or I am, I can, I ought, and I will. I am loved by God. Are you loved by God today? Have you been saved? Are you beloved, chosen, holy in God? Write this down. It's not in your notes. You can write it down or take a picture of it. But we are loved by God. It's an identity statement. And so what does that mean? That I can love without condition because he's loved me without condition. I am this, so I can. And so what does that mean? There's some moral obligations. I ought then to put others first in this situation. I ought to put others first or ahead of myself. I ought to do this for them. And so therefore, I will let sacrificial love guide my decisions and actions toward this person or in this situation. And see, this is something that is on repeat, as I said, as we make this a central activity in the small things, in the big things, in those conversations that we have when we're like, I really want to do this, but this person wants to do this. How can I? Well, I'm loved by God. And so, you know, you may have to be intentional to think this way initially. But as we begin to walk more in step with the spirit, eyes fixed on Christ, seeking to live according to Christ's commands, these things will become true of us a redemption we have to come back to our bibles we have to plant ourselves firmly in these convictions to specifically this conviction to love one another as christ has loved us and let this define our uncommon community of all the things that we'll talk about in this uh, section uh, of uh, this series that we preach to of all the one another's I think we can uh, uh, join Paul in saying or see the priority of this one another, of this activity in our uncommon community. As he says in Colossians 3.14, after listing out several other traits, he says, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. As others may seek to redefine love's meaning and activity, let us, let us continue on in simple, humble obedience, loving one another because Christ loved us first and foremost. Now, as we've gone through this uh, passage and we know here what Christ is about to do, he's about to go and die on a cross. How did Paul describe that in Romans 5? It was on the screen as an act of And so as we get to respond to the Lord today, we're going to do so by taking communion, by remembering God in his wisdom gave us this ordinance to remember Christ's love for us, his body broken, his blood poured out for us as an act of love, of sacrificial love. And so we invite you, I'm going to pray in just a moment, but I invite you, you can uh, take out your cup. We'll take it in just a moment after we pray. But this communion is for those who have uh, experienced God's love, who have responded to his invitation to be saved, who know his love and are walking in it with one another. It's a remembrance of what God has done for us and also a a reminder for us that we are to be walking in love uh, with one another. If our sin has offended someone in our community, 
if, if we uh, have allowed our own sin to hurt others and we are not walking in unity and allowing that, this is our reminder from the Lord to make that right even today. To go and put them first to say, I'm sorry for this. Would you please forgive me? And to extend that in an act of sacrificial love, grace, and mercy to one another. So I'm going to pray for us and you uh, pray for yourself as well to examine yourself to see that you're in the faith, walking in Christ as we remember this together. Pray with me now as the worship team comes up. God in heaven, here we are. Here we are as your people, thankful for your love. Even as we uh, approach your word and we see this commandment, God, a weighty commandment, uh, something that uh, 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 on our own we could not do. And yet we remember even now, Christ, your example, showing us how. Even in, even in your uh, actions on that night when you told them to do this, you were uh, putting it on display the whole night. But not just that night, as if it was an anomaly in your life, but you put it on display your whole life. Lord, and so we come before you now telling you thank you and asking for your help, and asking for your forgiveness. Another expression of your love this morning. Forgive us for when we have been suspicious, skeptical, outraged, fearful, or we've insisted on our own way, where we have not believed you or the best about a brother or sister. Lord, we want to be a people who follow you humbly, who worship you accordingly. We're continuing to grow because of the great love which which you showed us. So help us now, God. We pray in Christ's name.